of the Lord this evening. Let's put it in the key of G. Let's sing that song, Holy Spirit, Thou Art Welcome in this place. So Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome Welcome in the 
time So Holy Spirit Thou art welcome In this place Holy Spirit Thou art welcome In this place just a little bit this evening. Let's sing that song, Jesus Hold My Hand. I need thee every hour. I know that's the truth. So as I travel through this pilgrim land, there is a friend who walks with me. He leads me safely through the sinkings, and it is the Christ of Calvary. This would be my prayer, dear Lord, each day to help me do the best I can. For I need thy light to guide me day and night, blessed Jesus, hold my hand. And Jesus, hold my hand, I need thee every
must lead me safely to a land of rest if I a ground of life have won. I have put my faith in thee, dear Lord, that I may reach the golden strand. There's no other friend on whom I can depend, blessed Jesus, hold my hand.
so glad that I met him that day, and I'm one of his now. If you would just continue to play something softly, sister. I have a few prayer requests here uh, that I want to mention. Uh, we just want to uh, remember uh, Brother Troy and Sister Connie. They weren't able to be with us. Uh, they had several doctor's appointments today that they had to attend to and just finished up a little while ago, so we just want to remember them this evening. Uh, we just want to uh, remember... Brother David and Sister Karen, who are away on their anniversary trip, so we just want to remember them that the Lord will give them safe traveling mercies. Um, also want to continue to please remember Dad um, as he's going through treatments and diagnosis. Um, he had a doctor's appointment today and had some more fluid taken off, and he felt much better today. He's actually, it's the best he's felt in a couple of weeks. So we're thankful for that, but we just want to... Uh, continue to pray for him because he still has a ways to go so if you would just continue to remember him um, that's all the prayer requests i have uh, like i said we want to welcome you all this evening i do want to welcome someone very special and that is sister karen buchanan uh, she hasn't been able to be with us for some time and we're just thankful to see you in the house of the lord this evening and see you here So, amen. That's all the prayer requests I have written down, though, that's known. I know we each have prayer requests of our own that are unspoken. So just by the lifting of your hands, the Lord knows that need. And if I could have Brother Mark Sylvester come up and uh, pray over these prayer requests real quick.
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we're thankful, Lord, for another opportunity to be in your house, Father. For it's a, a with great anticipation, Lord, we look to your word, Lord, that will come forth. That it will be a blessing to us, Lord, that will help us to be better children of God, Father, that we may walk in obedience to your word. That it will correct us, Lord, when when we see the wrong, maybe that we're doing or maybe we need to get a little closer to you father than we have before father we pray lord you'll come lord and in our midst father and reveal your word that is spoken that we may lord see the times that we're living in lord and that we may take note of the things lord that your word said will come to pass and maybe it'll encourage us to draw a little closer to you father I pray, Lord Jesus, that you bless everyone that's here tonight, those that are listening. Lord, may we receive something, Lord, that will strengthen us, that we may be more enthusiastic, more of a, have more of a zeal, Lord, to, to, to press on, Lord, as we see the time approaching, Father. We thank you for your grace and your mercies and your love, Lord, that unmerited favor, Lord, that you've shown to us, Father, with grateful hearts. We thank you, Lord. Lord, these many requests that was made known to you, Lord, we pray that you will uh, answer each one, Father. It's not your will to see your, your children, Lord, that they should uh, um, suffer, Lord, or maybe go through things, Lord, that cause them great pain and, and misery, Father. And so we ask you tonight that you may intercede on every behalf, Lord, of these that were mentioned. And help them, Father, and give them comfort and deliverance, Lord, we pray. Lord, bless your servant as he comes tonight, Lord. Anoint him mightily. And may there be no hindrance to the coming forth of the word, Lord. May it have free course among us. And bless our hearts. We love you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mark. You may have your seats for just a few minutes. Let's put it in the key of G. We're going to sing a song here. Uh, he doesn't know I know this, and he doesn't know how I know this. Um, but I uh, was inspired to sing this song uh, from Dad because after his uh, office visit he had at the doctor and getting the fluid removed, he felt so good he sat down at his piano and started playing, which he has not done in several weeks because he's just felt so bad. and. The song he was playing was When I Think About the Lord, and I know it's a choir song, and I don't know when we've sang it, but I know it is a choir song, so forgive me, choir, for singing it. But um, I just wanted to sing this for him and uh, just have us sing it too, and I just love it because it's just so simple, and because it's just, it, when you think about all he's done for you, it just makes you want to just praise him and just shout and just sing to him. So just sing this with me, and... Let's just take a few minutes just to worship Him. So when I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up, and turn me around how he placed my feet on solid ground 
shout hallelujah thank you jesus lord you're worthy of all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise it makes me want to shout
And all of the praise It makes me want to shout Hallelujah Thank you Jesus Lord you're worthy Of all of the glory And all of the honor And all of the praise It makes me want to shout sister just a couple of quick announcements here not to disturb anything um, but I do have uh, just want to announce that uh, brother Trevor Emond will be here November 19th so just remember that and also remember on December 3rd there is a ladies lunch immediately after the morning service so if you have any questions just please ask sister Kristen let's sing uh, that song as brother Barry comes this evening open our eyes Lord 
we want to see Jesus. So open our eyes, evening, if you will. We want to remember the needs that Mitchell has already brought to us, and then also Brother Matt Cross is away uh, this evening, and uh, family, and then also want to remember Brother Fulcher, and uh, had a rough couple of days uh, this week, but we're just trusting that the Lord will undertake for him, and uh, with him, uh, it's the way I pray every day, is that his mercies are new every day, and we count on that. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, to be here tonight in your presence. And Lord, in such a sweet atmosphere, Lord, it's just already just a confirmation that it's been good to be here. But Lord, it's not just a nice presence, and it isn't just something that we enjoy worshiping in. 
Lord, it's your presence, and that's a holy thing. That's a sacred thing. I believe, Lord, that's the thing you desire to have most of all is that kind of intimate communion with your people, Lord. To know we're standing in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is a humbling experience. Lord, I pray we never let that become common to us. Never, Lord, in any way let it become something, Lord, that we, uh, we underestimate. Because, Lord, in your presence, great things happen. And so, Father, to you there's no Wednesday night or there's no Sunday morning. And there's nothing so special about one day versus another one. Lord, you're always present to heal and to minister. And for all these requests that have been given, Lord, especially for those who are sick and those who mourn, and those who are troubled tonight, we place them into your hands, Lord. Bless and have your way. We thank you, O oh Lord, for your presence tonight. And Lord, may you just speak to us through the word of life, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. While you're standing, if you don't mind, let's look to the scripture in Galatians chapter uh, 5. Thank you, uh, musicians, and thank you, Mitchell's very timely song service tonight. I remarked each song, and I think every single song had the word worship in it, and it's very fitting for us tonight. And uh, we appreciate that. Galatians chapter 5, we read this last Wednesday night, but we didn't. Uh, talk much about it, so I thought we would take this scripture again. And uh, we'd been talking about the subject of warfare, and then I was looking at that um, image that I uh, was portraying over the last couple of weeks, and I thought, it's kind of grim. And uh, so I thought it'd be nice to refer to this uh, subject tonight, is what we're basically talking about as the subject of worship. And in Galatians 1, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and you may be seated tonight. We thank you all for coming. I know coming on Wednesday night is not always an easy thing, and uh, most of you had an early start, and we'll have an early start tomorrow, but I appreciate you being here. Sister Cindy, it's good to have you back with us tonight. Sister Sarah Basaki, it's good to have you back with us tonight. And it's especially good, Sister Karen, to have you back with us tonight. May God bless you. Great to see you uh, back in your old role. And uh, may God bless you. Good to have you here and uh, each one of you. Now, <clears throat> I, um, I just, um, just want to make a, a very brief comment this evening here. And if, if you'll forgive me, I just wanted to do... The third Wednesday night in a row, just to make a comment on uh, this, uh, the pictures that are over here. And uh, forgive me for, for prolonging this, but um, there was, uh, there's a reason why I'm saying this tonight, and I don't want to prolong this at all. Um, <clears throat> as we mentioned before, and was asked to me, we don't have uh, pictures. As a matter of fact, after we did our renovation, you'll notice there are no pictures here. Even our mural is gone. We replaced it with the cross. And um, we do not have a, a, a picture, these two pictures hanging in the sanctuary. We do have the, we did have these two pictures hanging in our library out there for years and years. And uh, I believe in these pictures. As a matter of fact, I believe in them enough 
even though I'm not saved by these pictures. Anybody here been saved by one of these pictures? I believe in this picture, though, enough that, and this is something you may not know, that this is, um, this is one of the things that we print with vision books. And so this is a picture on the board here of southeast uh, Zambia. And uh, when we print large volumes of books for countries and they come in on the truck, uh, I'll usually say to our printer, print me up 10,000 copies of this, 10,000 copies of that, and maybe 10,000 copies of the Hoffman picture and Christ and the Rich Young Ruler and put them in with the shipment. So I have placed these pictures all over the world because I believe they're neat to have. I believe that there's a lot of pastors who have enjoyed having them in their studies and uh, you know different places over the years. And um, I mean, I think it's a blessing. I have these pictures uh, in my possession. I don't know whether you know it or not, but this little tag down here is, is Christian framing. And uh, I had these in the library there. People could purchase them if they wanted to. They could buy either of the print, and I usually always give them away. And, uh, but the framed uh, prints here were available, still are, because for a number of years, uh, 12, 15 years, I, I have had a company called Christian Framing, and I framed Christian images like this and the Hoffman picture and did many, many pictures for people in churches and their homes and so forth. And uh, our most famous uh, print was the prayer at Valley Forge with George Washington on a kneeling in front of his horse. And uh, so I still have that company. I, I don't frame as much because everything is in boxes. That's the only reason I don't frame so much anymore. But I still have that company. And I, I, we frame only Christian art and that kind of thing, images like this. And so uh, for people to say that, uh, you know, maybe I don't believe in the picture, um, you're wrong. Because I think it's a, uh, I think it's just a magnificent way that God witnessed to the whole world that uh, he wanted to have his picture made with that prophet. And, you know, whether the FBI said anything about it or not, and whether, uh, you know, it's uh, it was photoshopped or not, I, and it wasn't. Uh, I, I'm just I'm just excited that uh, God had a, such a visible witness that that we could have uh, in this hour, and uh, I'm not ashamed of it at all. As a matter of fact, I'm excited about it and glad we have it, and the the uh, cloud picture and so forth, and these images right here, and uh, I hold a copyright for these uh, pictures, the Hoffman picture, and and. Uh, Christ and the rich young ruler, and uh, we're excited to do that. I, I have, if you need a thousand of those pictures, I could bring them to you tomorrow. Uh, if you needed 10,000 pictures of the cloud, I could bring them to you tomorrow. And uh, we have that many and, and give them out. But uh, all over the world, uh, we like to make these available for people because, um, you know, they're, uh, they're, especially for people overseas, it's very difficult for them to have access to them. And be able to get them themselves, so they're, they're virtually not available. They can get online and see it, but to have their own picture and have it in their house or their office or their church or their lobby or whatever else they want to have, uh, I think it's a great thing. Now, I just say that because for the people who make up the little clips and circulate them around for criticism purposes, I needed to give them something else to say tonight. But I'm done with this issue of the picture, okay? I think those things are of the devil, 
I think they're of the devil because 99% of the time those little clips that are made with preachers' comments on them are usually meant only to criticize, and I think it's terrible. Um, but I'm, I'm excited that, uh, you know, we're able to uh, be able to, uh, to clarify that point, and <clears throat> I just, uh, I, I promise you, next Wednesday night, I won't say a thing about it. Can we move on? All right. <clears throat> now, we want to talk about this subject of worship here because it is, it is a pretty critical thing. And, and I was over the last couple of Wednesday nights, if you recall some of the things we talked about, I was uh, mentioning uh, about this subject of worship. And so I want to focus uh, in, narrow in on this, on this topic here tonight. And it may seem a little different the way uh, I'm going to approach it, but uh, I just trust that it'll be a blessing to you uh, this evening as we talk about this. Because I, I, I just, without mentioning anything to Mitchell at all, he just came in and got a prayer request and we chatted just for a second and uh, came out. And just, I love the way that uh, a service sometimes is oriented without you orienting it. So in other words, there's something being pointed to that you didn't cause that to happen. And, and that's the Spirit of the Lord that's moving. So uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about being here tonight. And uh, I just trust that the Lord uh, will still continue to be the object of your worship tonight because that's what he is. And so Brother Branham said, if there's a desire to worship God, and I mentioned this last Wednesday night, even the Hottentots and the Indians in years gone by worshipped Objects, because the very creation of worship was in their heart. It's in the heart of men to worship. That's always been the case. And they worship something as their creator. They know somehow that God created the world, God created their bodies, God created the stars and all the rest of it. And they, that showed that there was a creator somewhere to worship God. Because if there's a hunger in your heart for more of God, there's bound to be more of God somewhere for you to find. So if you have a craving for something, that something has to exist. Otherwise, you wouldn't crave it. And so if you have a desire to worship your creator, there has to be a creator somewhere for you to worship. And Brother Bram is just uncovering a very important principle of human nature here that all men worship something. Now, everybody doesn't worship the God we serve. Uh, you know, it, it, it certainly is true, as I've said, that God does not uh, accept all kinds of worship. When they danced around the golden calf in Exodus 23, let me tell you, God wasn't delighted with their worship, was he? Or when the prophets of Baal danced around the altar and called on, the, on God to send fire, uh, God didn't respond, right? His silence was his response. And so just because people worship doesn't mean that God's always pleased with that worship or that God accepts that kind of worship. And I, I believe the criteria is and it always has been that we, we should worship God in spirit and in truth. And I do believe that it is important for you to be yourself and to be honest and, and to be uh, transparent in your worship. Because you know what? We know that God looks at the heart anyway. So in earnestly contending for the faith, Brother Branham said, and then after he, Cain, got his sacrifice, his altar, his church, everything ready, beautiful, probably a lot more beautiful than Abel's was, but God doesn't dwell in beauty made by hands. The beauty of holiness is where God dwells in, where the power of the Holy Spirit. The beauty of holiness is where God dwells. So worship and holiness actually go together. 
and uh, it's a wonderful connection. So when you, when you think about worship, it, it's certainly not uh, confined to things that have evolved in our day here. You know, our nation was founded on the, uh, the pilgrims who came over and sought a place of freedom of worship. And, uh, you know, they were mindful of God. And they established the colonies and the, and the, uh, uh, the, the, the early states of America on the principle of uh, worshiping the one true God. And they were very mindful of the scripture and very respectful of the scripture. As a matter of fact, I've seen the Bible, some of the Bibles that came over on the Mayflower. They're in the Museum of the Bible in Washington. And, uh, uh, it, you know, it was just a, a, it was a given for those people. It was a reality for those, those people that, uh, you know, it's God first. And, and they, they did acknowledge God in many different ways. Uh, this is just a shot here of Billy Sunday in the revival tent uh, many years ago, and Billy Sunday was, was good at the way that he uh, got people to worship. But you can't put God in a box. Let's be real clear on that. You can't just say that this is the way that God loves worship, or this is the way that you should worship. It, it doesn't make sense for us to try to put God in a box, right? And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the efforts to try to do that are, are really futile efforts. And I've traveled over the world. I've showed you a couple of these uh, little pieces before. Let me show you again. If we want to click on that, can we click on that? Sorry, I didn't tell you. I've got a couple here. And uh, we need sound. <laughs> Turn her up a little, crank it up a little bit. They're singing in Swahili. And uh, they got half their church built, but they're happy anyway. You see tarps on one side, metal on the other side. And this is uh, Kamanga. Some of you have been, uh, sorry, Namanga. This is uh, where some of us have been last year, and Lord willing, we'll be going again. Uh, in December. All right. Here's another. Here's another spot here. In the, go ahead and click that if you, if you can. This is in Malawi. They're just singing amen. They received a, a truckload of books. They're just singing amen. I wish I could sing like this guy. Very sweet. So does God uh, like one form of worship over another one? Let's try this one. Click on that one if you don't mind. Now this sister, I was in this meeting, this is in a house. That's the instruments there. That's the, that's the orchestra. She has a stick with a can on it and she's got sand in it. That's the only instrument. Sorry. Everybody go like this. 
So uh, I preach in that house. That's just a living room of somebody's house in uh, with Zephaniah's parents' house, actually, Zephaniah Peter's, and uh, when he was alive. And that's his sisters that are sitting there. And uh, uh, we preach in that in that house there with him. And it was just it was just such a lovely prayer. I remember that uh, day when we were. Uh, gathered together there and singing and uh, worshiping together. And David said, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And uh, it's really true that God loves people to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, here's Brother Branham again. He said, Now God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the very word God means object of worship. So God likes to be worshiped by his children that we can be free. And not bound down in yokes. We're not channeled a certain way. We're not forced to be a certain way. But we can exercise our faith in him and believe it. Not be ashamed to tell the world about it. That Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Lives and reigns in our hearts. And we're not ashamed of it. Doesn't make our face red to testify of the glory of Jesus Christ. I believe that we should be able to go out in the street and bring anybody at all into this assembly. And they would recognize that we worship the one true and living God. That would be an important thing for somebody to know. And I believe this as well, that the church should not be a place where introverted teenagers feel that if they are not over, overly emotional, then their worship is less in the eyes of God. God sees the heart and motive of the worshiper. And everybody said, they should not feel intimidated. They should not feel uh, you know, uh, overwhelmed by, uh, by anybody else, but rather that uh, their worship is not any less in the eyes of God. Uh, they should just feel like they can worship God in spirit and in truth in their own way. We should be free to exercise that. We should be free to worship God in the way that God has made us. In Jehovah Jireh, Brother Branham says, Now may they be filled with the Spirit, is what I had quoted to you before, and may the Holy Ghost take them into his control, and may there break out an old-fashioned revival among these churches. I like the way that Brother Branham says this, because first you want to be under his control. Isn't that right? First you want to be under his control. And then may there break out an old-fashioned revival among the churches, sweep through our communities, everywhere on fire by the power of God, and send us real Pentecost, Lord, real power of the Spirit back in the lives of the people, granted Father. You don't have to be in a certain geographical location for that to take place, right? You don't need to be in a certain part of the country. You don't need to have a certain number of people. You, let me tell you, God can do that tonight. God can do that in your private prayer closet. God can do it in a convention. God can do it in a number of places. He's not limited by geography. But I tell you what, like I said to you before, and I don't mind reiterating it again, I believe that God loves it when people respond to the true ministry of the Word of God, and it comes from the heart, comes to the inside. In other words, we're not doing something because everybody else around us is doing it, but rather in the hearing of the Word, it causes a reaction on the inside and you can't help but raise your hands or sing or glorify God or what a clap or whatever else. Uh, it's, just, it's just a spontaneous reaction. It's just a beautiful thing. And I believe that's what God delights in. He delights in the praises of his people. Now, Brother Bram said most people, he said, most, he's talking about churchgoers here. And he says most go to church on Sunday and that's good. But even though, even there, they have no idea how to approach God and how to worship him. He's talking about nominal churchgoers now. 
And he says, uh, but Jesus said that true worship was in spirit and in truth in John 4. But what kind of worship can you get in a church that knows so little of God? It puts a Santa Claus there at Christmas and bunnies at Easter. And they get it from pagans, made it part of church doctrine. And let me add that why someone would attach eggs to bushes, uh, always been a mystery to me. But when one turns to the Lord... Filled with the Holy Ghost, he ceases from all such things. In other words, I don't need to be entertained. I don't need to be persuaded to come to church. I don't need to be promised a position in order to be a church. Right? I don't need to be, I should not need to be reminded to pay my tithes. I should not be pressured to sing. I should not, I should not have to, uh, you know, uh, apply pressure to anybody to participate, uh, you know, in coming to church and so forth. Hey, listen, if, if your brother man says when, when a person turns to the Lord and filled with the Holy Ghost, he ceases from all that stuff and he has a rest in his soul. He really begins to live and love God and worship him. I, I think that's good, solid stuff. Now, now when you, so therefore we say that, you know, when, when we have the Holy Ghost, then it's going to cause us to live a certain life. It's going to cause us to uh, change the way of life we once lived and to be able to live in a way that's pleasing to God. That may be out of sync with the world and it may not always be logical, but nonetheless, we're doing things because we are under the control of the Holy Spirit and the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So it is really an important thing for us to have a tender ear uh, to the Holy Spirit and to follow things that are found in God's Word because that's the best roadmap, of course, that anybody could have. And uh, it, it's really important for us to uh, just be sovereignly led of God. Let me give you a little example here. Uh, in the bottom uh, scripture here in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, as a Christian, our, our mandate here is pretty clear, that we should not be always striving to get even with somebody over, over things. But he says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. And if he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if you go back up on the top scripture there in 2 Kings, that's a story where uh, the Assyrians sent soldiers to try to capture Elijah. Remember, uh, that's a story where uh, the, the, uh, the Assyrians went down uh, to try to surprise Israel. And when they got halfway there, the Israeli army jumped out and ambushed them and uh, they were foiled. And then they, they, they went back to headquarters and they had another plan and went, uh, the Assyrians went around another way and uh, tried to come against Israel. And the Israeli soldiers were there and, and defeated them again. Happened three times. And the king calls in all the wise men and all of his army commanders and says, Hey, which one of you guys is working for Israel? Because everything we do, they know about it already in advance. It seems like they know our every move. And one of them put up his hand and he said, Hey, king. He said, you need to realize that uh, the God of Israel is one who knows what happens when you slumber and sleep, and he hears what you say, even in private. So that's, that's the God that they serve over there, and they have a prophet, Elijah, and he's a spokesman for God. And so therefore, uh, it isn't any, about it, any of us, but you're picking on a people that have a God who's real. He's not just imaginary, and he's not just you know a, a carving on an altar somewhere, but he's real, and he's alive. And he hears what we say, as well as he hears what they say. And he said, well, hey, go get that prophet. So he sends 50 soldiers off, and they go get the prophet. And, uh, 
you know, uh, they, they're foiled and uh, happens three times again. And uh, Elijah, Elijah finally says, Elisha, he says, when they come and they're, uh, they're all smitten blind. Uh, he he uh, speaks to God and all of them are smitten blind. And uh, the, uh, Elisha says to his servant, he says, hey, take all these soldiers. They're blind as a bat. They can't see. They don't really know what's going on. He says, and just lead them over to the palace. And so he did. Brought him right into the palace. And these soldiers, enemy soldiers, are standing right inside the palace uh, of the king of Israel. And uh, the king says, hey, this is great. This is our enemy. What should we do? Kill them all? And he said, no. He said, put them in front of the table and feed them. Really? And that's what they did. And then God opened their eyes. And they saw where they were. And they thought, man, they're just fattening, fattening us up for the kill. And... Uh, King said, no. He said, we're just going to feed you. And he says, we're going to let you go and, and go back to your king. And you can tell him the story of what happened to you today. So when it comes to something in the New Testament here, Paul is telling us to use wisdom when it comes to dealing even with your enemies. Because the natural human thing would be to respond in a certain way and get even and, and get justice. And justice is usually about satisfying our own idea about how things should be. But God is saying, hey, listen, you are free. You've been given liberty. And this is where Galatians 6, 1 comes in, as uh, Galatians 5, 1, where Paul talks about you've been given liberty, only you use not liberty for a cloak of bondage and so forth. And He's, he's telling us you've been free to, to exercise in your own lives the mind of Christ. And so you don't have to fall prey to what everybody else may do. You don't have to be led by what everyone else may think. You are free to pursue and fulfill the mind of Christ. And one of the things that characterizes a Christian is liberty. It's the mark of a Christian to have liberty. So we are free from fear. And we are free from the culture. Isn't that right? Culture has certain ideals and certain priorities and have certain ways and have certain laws. Hey, we are free from uh, being pressured by that. We are free from uh, groupthink. We are free from conformity to this world. Hey, listen, we have been set free to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And that's why, let me tell you, it's not just you trying to live out the Christian life. This is the difference between law and grace. Listen to me now for a minute. This is the difference between law and grace. When God gave the Old Testament saints the law, it just said, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, and all of those laws were given to them. Under grace, God gives us a word, and in that word is the power for that word to come to pass. So it's not me trying to do something or trying to follow a list of laws, but rather it's Christ in me that liveth. That's the grace of God extended to us, right? Because now it's not dependent on me to try to fulfill the law like the Old Testament Jews did, and they tried to be uh, you know, so steadfast in trying to follow every little bit of the law. It's not that. It's now the best thing I can do is just yield or surrender to the presence of God and watch Him bring to pass what commandments He's given to me. That's the difference between law and grace, and that's a great big difference. And so therefore, uh, it, it is, a, it is a, an amazing thing how God has given us the liberty to be able to fulfill what is actually in the heart of God. 
Now, stay with me now for a minute here. I'm just going to go quickly here. In Isaiah chapter, uh, sorry, not in Isaiah, but in the message influence, Isaiah, the young prophet in the days of Uzziah, was watching this young fellow because Uzziah was a great man. And he came from a fine background. His father and mother both were strictly staunch believers in God, and they'd raised their boy to serve and honor God. And one of the great lackings of our day today in America and the rest of the world is godly parents to set an influence upon their children. That's one of the things that's lacking today in our world. Now, it's really lacking in our world now, right? 50, 60 years later, it's really lacking uh, in our time. But the parents of this day got away from the principles of Scripture, and they went more to the fashions of the world. So in other words, we find out who's really at liberty because people are pulled into what everybody else is doing. And it's almost like they don't have the power to resist. Like I told you before about Instagram, and we, I've done this before in uh, the Christian Family uh, series, that uh, you know, there, are, there are girls there that, that know that this is actually weakening them. It's causing them harm. It's doing things that are, are not profitable for them and causing them to think in a certain way. But they don't have the power to stop. They don't have the power to turn it off. They stay with it. It's like they're addicted to it. Or that's the way they might look at it, but it's almost like something's got a hold of them that they can't let go. And, and their greatest fear is that they would be somewhere like in Gaza when the internet's cut off and then they'd have 48 hours where there's no internet. You know, it'd be unimaginable. I'm only joking. But Brother Branham is telling us that that exists. That's a symptom. These problems are symptoms of the fact that people have gotten away from Scripture. You realize God has set us free to follow his word. God has set us free so that we can worship in spirit and in truth. God has set us free so that we don't have to conform to some, uh, some idea of worship that comes from some headquarters or something else. God has set us free to be able to worship him the way that pleases him. And we don't, have to, uh, we don't have to conform to some way in the world or some thought process in the world. But Brother Bram said the parents get away from the principles of Scripture. And that's where it all goes south. That's where it all goes sour is when people get away from the principles of Scripture. And that's true today. He said they went more for the fashions of the world. So the fashions of the world today, if you want to talk about, you know, I mean, it might be clothing and it might be hairstyle and it might be tattoos or whatever else. But the fashion of the world, the modern churches today, is to have a big sprawling campus and to have coffee served in it, which I'm entirely 100% for. But they, I mean, up our way, I've told you before, they have one of the biggest churches in our town is a church where they advertise. They say, our church is one hour, come as you are. You can dress whatever way you want to, you can sit on the floor, and we're going to have half hour of music. It's going to be loud and fast and hard, and then we're going to have a half hour preaching, so you'll be out in, a, in an hour. And that's the way it is. And I saw him do an advertisement on the guy who was the pastor on that. It's one of the largest churches uh, in, in, our, in our area. And, and it is, uh, you know, it's very predictable. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's really different. I mean, um, I've been invited to go to that church, and I just, I'm scared to death. But that's the fashionable way a lot of people have church now, right? That's, that's kind of in style. That's, that's the fashion, just like uh, furniture or clothing or anything else. It changes all the time. The nice thing about God's Word is that it doesn't change, Right? And you know what? The message still says what it says when Brother Branham said it. And the Bible still says what it says when Paul wrote it. 
and all the other writers, they wrote it in their time. Brother Bram said, our markets are loaded with vulgar and filth and poison uh, and poison the minds of our young children, and we lay default on them. Hey, it's really, <laughs> it's really hard for kids to grasp and obey a commandment from the mother when, because they're on the internet too much, and the mother is saying, now you can't go out after dark because there's an axe murderer out there uh, somewhere. And uh, you say, well, mom, where'd you hear that? I heard it on Facebook. It was on Facebook, and so therefore you can't go out because there's an axe murderer out there. And she's guiding her family by things that she's hearing on social media and telling you not to guide yourself by things that are on the internet out there. There's, there's a problem with that. A lot of kids have problems with that. You know what? You can't blame them. And Brother Bram says, Here's, there's a problem that exists. People have gotten away from the principles of Scripture, and then we blame the kids. Let me tell you something you don't want to hear. I, and I was talking with a couple of experts who are on this, on this subject, and they said that in terms of online pornography and negative dark things that are on the Internet, they said, you haven't seen anything yet compared to what AI can produce, artificial intelligence can produce. And they were given examples. And some of you computer guys are shaking your heads here. And with 5G and AI, they said the whole, the whole system of that now becomes way more real and going to draw way more people in because it has a power. Now, listen, the young kids are already there, right? If you have a phone, if you have a phone and you're young, you're already there. So the, in other words, the foundation's already laid. Now, we know coming down the road, there's something there that's more powerful than what exists today. And I, they were describing it. And I thought I, I, had, to, I had to change the subject in, this, in a sense because it was just so realistic. But it, in other words, people are already there using the system. And now if something way more attractive is there to tempt people, that temptation is going to be harder to resist. So I can assure you, and young people, I mean, you've, you've heard all of this before, but you're going to need more to be able to stand than just to um, just have Brother Barry say that it's not a good thing. Because I'm not always going to be around. Your parents are not always going to be around. There's, there's lots of times when you're going to be on your own. And it's in those alone times. That's where the character of Christ really shines through. It's one thing for you to act a certain way here in church or, you know, with your family. But it's another thing when you're on your own. And Satan hasn't given up because you're a member of this church. There are pressures out there. And as a matter of fact, I'd say that, uh, you know, there's an intensity about the time that we live in now like not any other time I've ever, I've ever known in, in my lifetime. There's, and, and the intensity of the mind battles and everything else and the things that people say and do. And, uh, I mean... How, how things can be said because everybody's on the internet. Listen, there's, there's some real, real genuine concern among ministers that the day may come when we don't have the liberty to be able to put everything on the internet because a lot of it's, not a lot of it, but some of it's being weaponized and uh, you know there are people who analyze it and use it for bad purposes. Shouldn't shock anybody. But that's the time that we're moving into, and you can see how easily things are changing. Well, you know, like in a, in a nation like Israel, things are changing over there. And the things that they fight in the natural are things that obviously we fight in the spiritual realm. And so we're living in days of more intense spiritual warfare, and it's, it's more intense 
as we go further, as we get closer to the goal. And here's Brother Branham saying that our markets are loaded with it, and this is 1963, and he says, when I think many times it belongs to us, us Christian people, who will not stand up for the things that's right and have those things lawed off our shelves. I mean, there should be an outcry. There should be a response to things that are there that are not wholesome and profitable. And then in our homes also, and we let loose and permit all these vulgarities and things to come into our home to influence the children. He's talking about Uzziah here, way back in the Old Testament. And he said, but Uzziah had been brought upright, and he was an influence on Isaiah. And God allowed Isaiah, his prophet, to be influenced by Uzziah and his family. And he's picking them out as an example of good, a good family in the midst of all this perversity and so forth that exists in the culture back in that day, pre-Christ. Back in that day. So you can imagine how God must delight to hear uh, the singing and worship tonight as, as uh, you, you folks were singing and worshiping uh, so sweetly and so nicely here. Uh, I mean, that's just a beautiful thing. And, and it, it's, as good as it sounds to us, it must sound really wonderful to God that in the midst of Laodicea, when all of it is reaching its climax, God's got a group of people that will come aside, worked all day, been out in it all day, and come inside and transform the atmosphere just by their worship. I think that's a wonderful thing. But you can't do it and leave Scripture. You can't accomplish that and disregard or disobey God's Word. You can't do that because they don't go together. And so surely, surely we've come to the place where we know that our experience has got to be based on more than just how we feel and how, uh, how many people are around. Hey, it's, it's a personal relationship with Christ, as you know. And so therefore, we are called upon to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And this, this word is, this word liberty is found in a couple of key places here. And when Jesus took the scroll and said in the temple here, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted and preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised or shattered is what the Greek word uh, means there. And they can be shattered by, uh, you know, different things that take place in their lives like divorce or sickness or an accident or whatever else. And, and they're, they're, they feel like they're bound. They feel like they're trapped. They feel like they're stuck in a place and they can't get free and they can't do anything different. And Jesus said, I'm here to set those people at liberty. So whether they're addicted to something or whether they're bound by circumstances or whatever else, Jesus said, I'm come. And he's anointed here to be able to say that in the fulfillment of Scripture, which is Isaiah uh, in the 61st chapter there. And uh, his role on the earth is to set men free. I believe that he's still able to do that tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the, the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So the enemy is not after your money. I said this last Wednesday night. Or your stuff. He wants your mind. He wants your attitude, your heart, your faith, your peace, and your joy. And you're not being attacked over tangible things in your life. The enemy is fighting over things you cannot see. He's not after your car. It's too messy anyway. He's after more than that. He's trying to do whatever he can to discourage and distract and uh, get people sidetracked and intimidate people. And Brother Branham says in Testimony on the Sea, he said, Simon Peter, and he's describing the disciples out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and they're just testifying, you know, the meetings they've been in and uh, watching Jesus do the miracles, and they're talking back and forth to one another. And Simon Peter says, well, now, he said, I'd like to have something to say. He said, I can see Dad one day as he sat on the rail of the boat and said, Simon, you're my oldest son, and every Jew has believed that he would see the Messiah in his generation. 
But it looks like I probably won't see him in my time. But maybe you will. And I want, you, I want to train you in the scriptures. He said, son, before the Messiah rises on the scene, there'll be all kinds of things going on, all kinds of false things. Because Satan will do that to destroy the influence of the real Messiah when he comes. Satan's job. And it's always been that way, and it's still that way. And I remember he put his arm around me, Peter said, and he said, we choose or taught to believe the prophet, and there may be great things rise. There may be great enthusiasms and things. Maybe all kinds of things arise. But Messiah will be a prophet because we know that God never changes his way. So remember, son, prophets are those who have the word of the Lord. So you know what? It would do us all well, young and old, to make sure that we judge our experience and we keep in mind what a prophet said, and that is the real evidence of a new birth is to be able to believe the word for your day. Because you know what? The word of the Lord comes to prophets. That's exactly how it comes. And then... Last statement I'll give you like this. Brother Branham said, now, there are ministering spirits that come from the presence, or sent from the presence of God to be ministers. And remember, if it ministers something besides the word, it didn't come from God. No matter how enthusiastic or how uh, powerful it is, they might be able to unscrew light bulbs with their preaching. It, it, it doesn't matter. If it, if it ministers something besides the word, it didn't come from God. And I will tell you this, just as a general principle. The people that I like to have come here and minister are people, I believe, who minister the word. They may not be the most popular or whatever else, but I like to have them come because they minister the word. Despite their personality or their color or whatever else. If, if they minister the word, you know what? That's good for us. And I believe that that's a good, good, uh, good criterion by which we uh, decide things. So <clears throat> we have to be careful, and I would say this in conjunction with that, that when it comes to a, a meeting or a, a, a gathering or a convention, to me the thing that I've always looked at, and I don't know if I've ever said this to you before, but the thing that I always look at, if, if I'm invited to go somewhere or if uh, people are asking me, is this a good meeting or is that a good meeting to go to, I'll always say, well, who's speaking? Because who's speaking makes a huge difference about what you're going to go away with. It's really important. The only real power that demons have over us is the power we give them by yielding to temptation. That's the only real power that demons have when we give in to that. But remember now, Satan is disguised as an angel of light, isn't he? So therefore, it becomes pretty tough. All right, so let's give an example of this here, all right? A biblical example. In, if you don't mind, 2 Chronicles chapter 29. I'd like you, if you don't mind, just to open your Bible there. I don't have it all on the screen here, but I'd like you to take a look at it. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. This is the story about Hezekiah, and he begins to reign when he's 5 and 20 years old and reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. So he's just a young man. He 
He did that which was right, verse 2, in the sight of the Lord and according to all that David his father had done. He in the first year of his reign, in the first month, the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. You know why? Because it was broken down. Now he must have come into his office with this priority because he didn't learn it by experience, right? He doesn't have years of experience under his belt here. He comes in with an agenda, and the agenda is, I'm going to restore true worship again. I'm going to come and this is the first thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to restore this. And and so uh, the Bible says that uh, he in the first year, verse 3, he in the first year of his reign in the first month opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them, and he brought in the priests and Levites and gathered them together in the, the street. Now, he didn't just tell them, go in and clean it up. This is what he said to them. Hear me, ye Levites, I'm in verse 5, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord your God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. So in other words, true worship was really non-existent. I imagine now in Israel, it's, all, it's non-existent at this particular point in time. They had a temple, but it was broken down. So, uh, so the king here says, uh, listen, I want you to take the Levites. And he says, I want you to go into the center of the house. I want you to go right into the heart of the matter and begin to take all the trash out and begin to take everything out and let's get rid of it. Verse 15, and they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord unto the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it abroad in the brook Kidron. Kidron is where uh, things were burnt. Kidron is a little valley and a little river runs down through it where things are buried or burnt and they're destroyed. And I think the imagery is good for us to remind ourselves of that when they began to cleanse the temple here, they went into the very heart of it first and they began to carry things out and destroy it completely. Because if you don't destroy it completely, it's possible it can come back into the same place that it got it removed from. And in the same way that God wants to do a work in your life and cleanse you from the inside out, not from the outside in, because from the outside in is really ineffective, right? But when it's from the inside out and you begin to carry things out of your life and you take things out that don't belong, and you know they don't belong because they don't belong in the real uh, form of true worship, then we're going to take them and destroy them. We're going we're gonna to demolish them. We're going to burn them. We're going to uh, put a distance between ourselves and them because if we don't do that, we know we're creating a scenario where they can come back and haunt us again. And Jesus even taught that when a spirit is cast out, he comes back with seven of his friends and he makes it even seven times worse uh, than what it was before. So we're going to completely destroy that and we're going to replace that with good things. So the temple is in disarray. It's not even functional. It's like you were when you were a sinner. But you know what? We're going to go in and God, the Holy Spirit goes into the heart of the matter and begins to restore and cleanse and sanctify from the inside out. And then you become a vessel that is called his temple and God can come and dwell there, right? Because it's not just cleaning out. It's not just getting rid of stuff. It's not just the purging process, but it's a purging in order for something else might replace it. Somebody say amen. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He wants to replace that spirit and that nature in your life with the right thing. 
And then the Bible says that when they did that in verse 26, and the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets and Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offerings upon the altar. Watch what it says now. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, the king of Israel. And all the congregation worshiped and singers sang and trumpeters sounded. And all of this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and they worshiped. That's the reason for worship. When it's done God's way. And God can breathe upon it and God can bless it. Hey, those people knew they were on the right track. They were not there yet, but they knew they were on the right track. And they're singing and they're playing instruments and they're rejoicing and they're thankful. And uh, let me tell you, it, it must have been a joyous thing for God to see how the temple was. And this young king at the heart of uh, the nation and directing that to happen that way. And now here are the people in church and they're singing and they're rejoicing and so forth. Hey, that's what God loves. He doesn't ask us to get it all right and all in perfection. But he just wants you from your heart to say, oh God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to cleanse the temple. And thank you, Lord, for getting us back together again. And thank you, Lord, for the, uh, for the, for the instruments of David. And thank you, Lord, for the words of the prophets that we're able to recite now in the sanctuary again. And thank you for the opportunity we have to come once a week or more often and to be able to worship you here in this, in this holy place. But, but remember now, it's not just for the, for the action of worship. They want the presence of God to come. They want to they know that they're serving the true and living God. They want God to show up. And it's just amazing because the Bible is the only book that I know of. When you read it, the author shows up. He does. And so you travel all the way down through chapter 31 and go down to the end of 31 and verse 20. And it says, and thus did Hezekiah throughout all of Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth. Before the Lord is God. And in every work he began, in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all of his heart and prospered. He did it with all of his heart. Now remember now, he's 25 years old. He doesn't have years and years of wisdom and he doesn't have gray hair. He's probably got all he's here. And here he is, first month, first thing he does. Give me something that I, uh, you know, I can sign in my first job in office. And that's exactly what, what he chooses, to restore the temple. Probably lots of things that could have been done. But he says, I'm going to restore the temple. Easter seal, Brother Bram says, Now God in the days of the old prophets, like he did in the Garden of Eden, when the true voice of God and the true worship of God was condemned and sent out and killed in the Garden of Eden, the voice of God was hushed. By the greed and jealousy, it's been that way in the church ever since, trying to hush the true voice of God. Now, when I say the voice of God, I'm actually talking about God speaking, not Jeffersonville, all right? And so Brother Branham said that Satan's job, right from the Garden of Eden or right from the beginning, was to try to hush that true voice of God or try to bring God down on the level of every other God. Trying to discredit God, trying to limit God in the imagination of his people, right? Trying to say that God can't do it, that God's like any other gods. And when you do that, you're going to get in trouble with God. Now, hold, if you've got your Bible open, carry on with me, because now we read about Sennacherib. And here is Hezekiah and all of the people now enjoying worship. They're doing the right thing. God is with them. God's blessing them. And in chapter 32 and verse 1, after these things and the establishment thereof, true worship's established back again. 
Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the Fen cities and thought to win them for himself. So this is kind of like Taiwan and China shows up on the doorstep. This is an overwhelming enemy. This is a superpower of the day. This is a formidable foe that shows up on Israel's door. Now remember what Israel's doing. They're doing nothing wrong. They're doing everything right. They're not angering God. And they're not, uh, they're not disregarding the, the, the commandments of God. They're doing things right. But all of a sudden an enemy shows up. And you know what? That still is true today. You can be doing right things in the right place, at the right time, with the right instruments, singing the right songs, and Satan will show up. You can enjoy great blessings and services and great uh, personal blessings and corporate blessings. We can enjoy all of that. And Satan will be around the corner. And Sennacherib shows up. And three, he took counsel with his princes and the mighty men to stop the waters of the fountain which were without the city that did help him. So when Sennacherib shows up, Hezekiah turns to his men and he says, Hey, hey, we got to make sure they don't get the water. Because remember now, back in that day, and still even in this day, water is a big deal. And so therefore, Hezekiah says, let's channel the water. And it says, uh, when Sennacherib was come, that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel, Hezekiah did, with the princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. So in other words, we got to take the rivers from the Gihon springs, and we got to bring them into the city instead of letting our enemy enjoy the water outside. So there was gathered much people who stopped all the fountains and took and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? And he strengthened himself. Now, just for your information, here's Brother Branham in the end time seed. He says the Holy Spirit gives the word of life like water falling from heaven. And we know that water represents the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? So when Hezekiah, listen, when Hezekiah is under attack, he says, hey, protect the waters. Let's get, make sure the waters flow in here. And if we need to dig a tunnel and we need to do something else, let's do it. Whatever it is that we need to do, let's do it so that we preserve the presence of God in our midst. And that's what Hezekiah set out to do. And then it says in verse 7 here, he says, Be strong and be courageous, he told the people, and be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that's with him, for there be more with us than with him. And with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, the king of, uh, king of Judah. Look at verse 8 again. For with, us is an arm, with, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Do you believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? He absolutely is. And so Hezekiah was not afraid, and he was not ashamed to say this. But now I've got to read the next couple of verses here just for your information. Because Sennacherib doesn't get the message. Sennacherib has an attitude. He has a real attitude against these Israelites. And he wants this city. And he wants to take it in his scourge of the country. Because he's got a superpower complex. He's got a God complex. And he feels like, I'm the most powerful dude around here, so therefore, I want this city. And when somebody has an attitude like that, they don't want somebody to tell them they can't have something. You ever met anybody like that? Somebody feels like they're in the ultimate control, and then you tell them you can't have that. Oh, man, they get angry. Oh, they get angry. ha <laughs> ha. 
That's why the devil rages against the people of God. Yeah, he still always does. Because you know what? He can try, but he can't get the bride of Christ. So Sennacherib parks himself on a wall just out of bow shot. He's standing on a, on a, on a, on a, a, a precipice just beyond arrow shot. And he stands there with his loud mouth and he begins, to, he begins to say things to the Israelites. And he's working on them. As a matter of fact, the scripture says here that he even speaks in their own language. It's kind of like, like somebody who would be effective against the bride would speak in the language of Brother Brown. Right? But now it's what he said that really makes it interesting. So bear with me here. Let's just read a few verses here. In verse 10, he starts off, Thus saith Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, Wherein do you trust that ye abide in the siege of Jerusalem? Doth not Zechariah persuade you to give yourselves to die by famine and thirst, saying, The Lord your God shall deliver us out of the hand of the king of Assyria? In other words, I know what this king is saying. He's saying, look, God's going to deliver us. And, and, you know, they have the arm of flesh, and we have the arm of God. He said, I've heard it in every other city that we've destroyed. And he said, Really? That's what he was throwing out to them. Really, you're going to believe that? 13. And know ye not what I and my fathers have done unto all the people of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands anyways able to deliver their hands out of my hand? Go back and take a look. Look at the newspaper headlines of other, uh, other, other weeks before us here. Who is there among all, all the gods of these nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver this people out of my hand that your God should be able to deliver you out of your hand? And now therefore let not Hezekiah deceive you nor persuade you on this matter. Neither yet believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people out of mine hand and out of the hand of my fathers. Watch. How much less shall your God deliver you out of my hand? And his servants spake yet more against the Lord your God. 17. And he also wrote spoken word books, I mean letters, to rail on the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him. As the gods of nations of other lands have not delivered their people out of their hands, so shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of my hand. And then they cried with a loud voice in the Jews' speech. So they're actually using their language. That were on the wall to affright them and to trouble them, that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, which were the work of the hands of men. Let me tell you, folks, if you want to arouse God out of his seat, that's the way to do it. But when he got up in this instance here, he was listening to Sennacherib, who he would consider to be just a real royal windbag. And he's, he's listening to him. But now when he brings Jehovah down on the level of all these other gods that were powerless, God says, that's it. That's it. I've had enough. And he rolls up his royal sleeves and he says, we're going to take care of this, boys. I've heard a little too much. And the Bible simply says in verse 21, and the Lord God sent an angel which cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders and captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. You can imagine what he must have told that angel. And he's, he's listening to Sennacherib and all he's saying, 
Your God is no different than any others. And listen, all those other kings said the same thing to all their people. And you know what? They're all history. They're all in the dust. And their armor is gleaming in the desert. And so he's saying that I'm the same as all those other gods here. And I can take a lot. I can tolerate a lot. But I can't take that. So angel, whoever the angel was, God just dispatches them with an order. And that's it. You don't, want to be on, you don't want to be on the working end of that angel when he shows up. Take your Bible for a minute and just, if you don't mind, just flip over. and you'll t- I'll, I'll, I'll quit in just a second here. In, in the book of Zephaniah, not Zechariah, but Zephaniah. And I'm in chapter 1. So that's two books before Zechariah. Zechariah is the second last book in the Old Testament. And just go to Zephaniah chapter 1. And Zephaniah speaks about the last days. Just very briefly, and then I'm going to quit here. Very briefly about the last days. And in chapter 1 of Zephaniah, verse 17, everybody got it? Say amen. Or if you're close, that's good enough. And I will bring distress upon men and that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as a dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. Now that's a favorite phrase of Zephaniah. He uses that uh, phrase over and over again, the fire of his jealousy. And he's talking about how when God unleashes the wrath that is stored up over all of these years, and he said he's going to destroy them. And powerful people, people of wealth, people of substance, their silver and gold is not going to help them in times like that. They're not going to be able to buy their way out of this. They're not going to legislate their way out of this. They're not going to be able to turn to some superpower and get out of this. He's, God says, I'll pour out my wrath. And in verse 4, interestingly enough, he says, For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon a desolation, and shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. I mean, you just kind of, you got to wonder, are we living in the days when God is actually fulfilling his word? Verse, chapter, I'm in chapter 2 now, in verse 8. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. He uses that phrase again. So let me tell you something. We may, look at, we may look at events in the world one way, and the people in the world may look at events in the world one way, and there's, this ought to happen, and that ought to happen, and something else. But you know what? From my point of view, and by God's grace, we're able to look at multiple points of view because of where God's brought us and set us in heavenly places in Christ, and we're looking at things through the eyes of Scripture, right? We're looking at things a little bit differently than the world does. You have to wonder, is God actually fulfilling his word? Have we moved into a cycle where God is emptying Gaza and, and all the other things that are taking place and God's getting all the nations of the earth together? I mean, it seems that they're forced together in their hatred of God's people, right? I mean, that's the binding factor that pulls all these nations that normally don't agree and they're all agreeing together, whether it's G7 or whether it's you know United Nations or Arab nations or whatever else. And no matter what the motivating factors are for them, whether it's money or oil or whatever else, they have a common bond in that they hate God's people. 
And it's a natural reality in our world that they hate God's people. And God is not saying, oh, move back. Leave my people alone. He said, I'm bringing them in. I'm bringing them in because you know what? The fire of my jealousy is going to be poured out. So God's not preventing this from happening, according to Zephaniah. God's not pushing those nations back. He could, just like he destroyed Sennacherib. He could destroy the people that come against God's people. But there comes a day, and I'm suggesting to you, I believe we're moving into that channel where God's actually gathering in. Because there's supposed to be a burning. And there's supposed to be a gathering in of, of all of these tares. And then there's a gathering of God's people. And they'll be shuffled off uh, to the kingdom in the marriage supper. But there's a gathering of the nations of the earth because they oppose Jerusalem and they op- oppose God's people. I may be crazy, and I might be wrong. But to me, as I read these scriptures, and I see, you see so many things that are, that are just moving in the position here. And what I thought was interesting is that when Hezekiah sees the enemy come in, the thing that he wants to protect is the water. Hey, we got to make sure that no matter where we are, whether we worship in this church or whether in a house or in a parking lot somewhere or under a bridge, hey, it doesn't matter. you got to protect the water. We want to channel the water. Because that's where the presence of God is. And in the presence of God, there's strength. In the presence of God, there's liberty. In the presence of God, there's peace. Isn't that right? In the presence of God, there's good things. And Hezekiah says, we've got to protect that. First of all, first thing, his first response is, uh, when he knows that uh, Sennacherib is after him, hey, let's protect that. Let's take the water and we're going to channel it into the city here so that we can use it here. Because God's pouring himself out and we want to enjoy that water. We want to enjoy his presence. Let me say this, saints of God, in closing here. The musicians, if you'll work your way towards the front here. Let me say this. Uh, I believe that no matter what happens, God doesn't want you to lose faith in him. God doesn't want you to be despondent and say, well, it's all falling apart and it's all going nowhere. No, God knows exactly where it's going. God knew exactly what he was doing when he sent this message. God knew exactly what he was uh, motivating Brother Branham to say. And I believe that God knew exactly what he was writing when he had those authors pen the scriptures like he did. I believe that we're here not by accident, but we're here by his choice. I believe we're here by his leading. And I believe that God's got something great in store for his people. But the, the, the lesson is, to me, the resounding message is we got to trust him, even through the narrow passageways. we got to trust him in the dark times. we got to trust him when everybody's against you, it feels like. we got to trust him all the way. It may not seem logical, and it may not seem like the popular thing to do. But to me, he's given us resources, and he's opened the path. We're better off following that with all of our heart, like, like Hezekiah did. When he restored the temple and got in there and worshiped, he did it with all of his heart. He did it with passion. He did it with a fervor in his heart. He didn't do it just because it was Sunday or Saturday back in that day. He did it because he loved God and he knew he knew this was the right thing to restore worship. And when he had it, he didn't want to lose it. When he had it, he wanted it to continue. Even if we're under siege, we want to worship God. Let's worship God. What do you believe? Is that, how great is our God? Let's stand to our feet tonight. Let's sing together. How great is is our God. Sing with me how great 
our God, and all will sing how great, how great is our God. Sing the first verse now, just a shake it The splendor of Jesus set me free 
I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. I'm so glad my Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus set me free. I'm on my way to heaven and I'm shouting victory. I'm on my way to heaven and I'm shouting victory. I'm on my way to heaven shouting victory, singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus set me free. Yes, I'm so glad. Well, I'm so glad Jesus set me free. I'm so glad I Jesus set me free, singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus set me free. But Jesus set me free. Jesus had me bound. But my Jesus set me free. Oh, Satan had me bound. But Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus set me free. That Jesus set me free. Yes, I'm so glad that my Jesus set me free. I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus set me free. Thank you, Lord, for our time tonight in your word. Stimulate every heart, Lord, encourage us. Because no matter how narrow things get, they may trust in the arm of flesh. But we have the arm of the Lord that stands with us. Lord, we're counting on that. And I pray that you would strengthen every heart, encourage every soul. And Lord, bless every family here that we may keep the standards of your word high. Be unashamed of them, Lord. Father, we just thank you for salvation so rich and free. And Lord, I'm praying now that you would bless the balance of our week. Guide us, Lord, in your perfect will, we pray. And we'll give you thanks and praise and honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen and amen. I'll say yes tonight as we go. God bless you. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. Then your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart. I'll agree. Bye.
you go tonight.